Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of Sephra's Green and Greener show where we try to decode simpler steps to sustainable living. Today I have with me Nirupama Rao who is a parenting consultant, a psychologist, a writer, vegan and a sustainability enthusiast. So welcome Nirupama, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you. Thank you Sephra for doing this and for calling me. So yeah, like you said, I am a psychologist. and i have uh, worked largely with children with special needs since 1994 so it's been what just a little shy of 30 years i guess and uh, now um, i have run a school for children with special needs uh, it's like a world of kindergarten uh, but now i'm more into parenting consulting space as could be for children with or without special needs any behavioral emotional all kinds of issues really nice to hear that nirupama getting a little bit more you know in depth about your life and all your connections to sustainability so what is sustainability according to you so to sustain means to uh, prolong something for as long as we can to continue to do something for as long as we can and to keep the life of something for as long as possible So we are actually talking about the sustenance of our own planet earth of our health of you know of our of the air we breathe and everything our world around us so how do we sustain our resources how do we sustain the air quality how do we sustain our own planet and how to sustain our health for as long as we can for me that's sustainable that's a very holistic definition i really like it um i think in one of the articles we read that you've written um you have you have three pillars which is economic social and environmental so in terms of sustainability so any any light you can throw upon that economic is basically see it's all about conserving resources right so we are also talking about conserving economical resources money so how do we uh, avoid spending more than we need to spend so that's where your thrifting and things like that comes and again to keep the life of a product going for as long as we can pehle zamane mein shayad they would call people who do this kanjus <laughs> but now we know that this is the way to go we have to be Conjuice in our, you know, consumption. Right. <laughs> so conjuice consumption or conscious consumption is the same. <laughs> I love that conjuice consumption can be maybe the next, uh, you know, next yeah. podcast name. I love it. <laughs> it's very very cool. Yeah. So social sustainability is basically being being conscious of how we use things so that it does not affect the others. environment of course we all know what that means yeah. so that's what everybody is talking about now exactly. but that's awesome like good to see that you you know divided it in, even into pillars that's yeah. pretty cool so i think you know you started your sustainability journey i think many years ago as you as we were talking so can you delve a little bit into what was the trigger or how you started so uh my daughter joined a world of school okay in 2010 uh that's when i completely became conscious of the environment around us i mean not about sustainability this word was not much in use then climate change was not heard of then 
it was just starting i think now it's it was not as urgent a need as it is today right. but we had started talking about it but this world of education is 100 years old if you can just give give a small definition what is you know a world of school world of uh, uh, education was started by rudolf steiner in 1919 so it is one part of the philosophy that he founded called anthroposophy and this was started for the workers the children of the workers of the world of astoria cigarette factory so that's when it became world of education it was started right after the first world war there was a need for change in the society there was a need for change in the political scenario need for change in the mindset of the people right. so that's when you know people approached steiner who was a philosopher and he gave out certain lectures and certain principles that people started following now it is the world's largest growing uh, 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 approach to education the thousands of schools all over the place and every city has a budding initiative now yeah so this is where it began for me when when my daughter joined the world of school and in a world of school you can step into any world of school you will not find any plastics being used you will not find technology before the child turns a teenager you will not find anything that is not eco friendly all toys are made of nat- na- natural material the children play very very close to nature like they have outdoor play and indoor play so their outdoor play is like they playing with things found in nature right stones pebbles seeds uh and then when it comes to indoor you have cloth you have blocks you have anything that's made of natural material because that is what speaks to the soul of the child like you know there is a real exchange happening there between nature and the child so the children are taught without being preached to be very close to nature so that they grow up loving nature and they automatically learn to take care of nature so it's it's such a beautiful uh, way of education my daughter was in that school for 11 years and i all of us as parents learn a lot it's like really awakening so learning for both the the child and the parent is something you would say okay so you gave us a little bit of insight about say the you know the playing and how it's close to nature what about the the academics is how close is it or how far should i say from a regular school very very close to nature again okay so it's an experiential form of learning so till kindergarten it's all about play and developing the basic skills like fine motor skills gross motor skills and your know, balancing your attention span all that is developed and from grade 1 to 7 they are taught concepts but through experience so for example geography the children would be taken out somewhere given a map and asked the asked to find their way back of course with teacher's supervision but the children find their way back to school and they have something called farming block where the children are taken to a farm three to four times a year for sowing replanting you know harvesting they actually grow rice and they cook we cook with it and they have it so they know exactly where the food comes from 
and you know you know otherwise you ask a child where we get our milk from there's a from a packet or from the shop but these children know exactly where food is coming from and what goes into producing every grain of rice everything is taught on the field so it's very very experiential learning lovely so getting back to you know of course your your child school is where you first um became i would say aware of these concepts so from there how did you take your sustainability journey and which year was this if you can give us the timeline so yeah she joined in 2010 okay so once you're in that kind of a mindset it, this love for nature is the basic premise okay so that spreads into all walks of your life so i have been a psychologist since 1994 So once my daughter came into the school I got trained in the Steiner education and also in the special needs education at a, another conference where I used to go every year and it was not like earlier I was doing conventional special education where it was there was more stress on uh, cognitive aspects like you know reading writing spelling and math and things like that but once I came into this philosophy I understood that what the child is eating what the child is doing during uh, you know leisure time when the child sleeps the quality of food the quality of sleep the quality of the relationships of people at home everything matters so when it comes to children with special needs you take them to n number of therapies but if the child is not eating healthy food and if the child is not sleeping well and if the child is spending too much time on gadgets then it's the child is not going to be healthy from within and so not receptive to whatever we are offering the child so it had to be a sustainable lifestyle that we need to talk about to the parents of all children so my daughter's teachers spoke to us about what is a sustainable lifestyle also they may not choose those words yeah. they talk to us about rhythms how there needs to be a healthy breathing breathe out rhythm to the day and how the children should not be exposed to too many cartoons and animation which keeps them mind on overdrive that help doesn't help them to be calm how sleep is important how it is important to wake them up in a very calm state of mind give them enough time to get ready to go to school so it's a very very holistic kind of a way of life so world of education i wouldn't call it a method of education but it's a way of life and eventually i think it evolves into a spiritual path because spirituality for me is nothing nothing but oneness isn't it if we are one with the environment so environment nature is in us yeah and we are in nature So once we start seeing that oneness I think that is what spirituality is all about right I mean I I totally agree I think that's a very important point that you that you brought across and I mean very different for me because obviously schooling is where it starts right so different uh, way of growing but I completely agree with you nevertheless so what were the steps you all started taking from 2010 in your home right so I think for most of us uh whose children are in this philosophy i think it would start by eat local get food that is produced locally uh 
get food that is not processed. So we have to be true to nature or close to nature. That means everything that is natural, right? Like anything you put additives and synthetics and flavors and everything, then it becomes more chemical and more synthetic. It's not close to nature, right? We believe in um, our own doctor that is within us. So we, the minute something happens, we don't jump and look for a pill and pop a pill. We give our bodies time to heal, you know, and we, if we have to go to a doctor, it would be uh, someone holistic like an Ayurvedic or a homeopath or some alternative uh, treatment. So it, it's not just about popping a pill. It's about taking responsibility for our health. So as parents, we try not to, you know, have double standards. So if you tell your child not to do something, then we have to be conscious that we should not do it in their presence. So about, you know, watching quality content, if we have to watch anything on TV, not taking children to movies, loud movies when they're very small, before they even know what they're being exposed to, something that they cannot process. So there's so many aspects that we become conscious of, you know. So uh, obviously plastics, we we don't buy toys at all. Okay. Because children don't need toys. They can play with anything. You know, a child is so creative. Very curious. So curious, so resourceful. I used to watch my daughter play with a piece of thread for maybe one hour, two hours. This school... There was no homework for the longest time. There are no exams for the longest time. There are no textbooks that the children have to lug to school. The teacher is the textbook. And that's how, I mean, like, there's time, enough time to play, enough time for physical activity. Even birthday parties are organized in a very sustainable manner. Like, for example, we would go to uh, Borivili National Park. Oh, or we should go for a ride on the bus. Or uh, we would sit and make something together. Or we would just throw all the kids in the pool and let them play, you know. And even the food would be homemade. And another thing is they have lunch turns. So every day one child gets the food for the whole class. And the food is made fresh at home in the morning. How many kids are usually in this? About 25. So once a month. So which is not a big deal. And every day you just send a fruit, which is had in the fruit break. Okay, wow, fruit break. And what interesting food they would have from different parts of the country. And if they have a block on geography, like on Japan or on Africa or on Egypt or something, somehow the food will be, you know, the child who has lunch turn on that day will be told what to bring. You become conscious and you can never go back to being something else. Fair enough. So your sustainability journey started when you started working with kids, which is 94. Then you, with your child's school, I think that was a big, big step up, right? So, and how would you say, you know, your daughter and your, your husband also, I think have supported and have also incorporated into their own life some sustainable steps here and there. So how has that been like, you know, like have they been supportive towards it? Okay, so before this, I would like to tell you that uh, working with children with autism and ADHD, we follow something called the GFCF diet, that is gluten-free, casein-free diet. And I started seeing that uh, this diet was really helping a lot of kids. 
and in the process i also you know started reducing having uh, wheat products and milk products in my own diet and uh, slowly slowly you know i started reducing processed foods and so if i follow the diet then i'll be able to help parents with recipes where to find products you know yeah how how to find resources and yeah. that's how my journey into this whole veganism started okay and i was exploring recipes uh, i was exploring the vegan diet or the milk free diet or the casein free lactose free diet and i uh, stumbled upon sharan i had already started eliminating a lot of stuffs the only thing that i was not able to eliminate is curd because like for us south indians thai sadam or perganam is like very 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 it's like a soul food yeah i started making at home because i learned a lot of recipes i would make cashew dip i would make dahi i would make milk almond milk and peanut curd and i started making a lot of these things at home myself and that was only for me but now i found a lot of brands like one good and you know various other brands like which uh, i feel comes so close to the original yeah. that even if i make a raita or a dahi chawal or a cheese sandwich most of the people in my family are not even aware that it's vegan yeah. shout out to one good by the way for that amazing good quality peanut curd which they have been Absolutely. perfecting for many years i can't do without it yeah i i totally i know what you mean yeah so another favorite in the family is the soft spot cheese soft spot cheese one more shout out to soft spot cheese and tempeh <laughs> tempeh definitely so it's not a problem at all like even by curry which we bake in the south so yeah ajikpur so we call it i make it with the uh, vegan dahi and yeah. nobody even realizes that it's not see waise bhi our indian diet is mostly vegan hai na dal chawal sabzi roti all this is vegan uh, without the upar ka ghee or the butter or everything the additions the inherent recipe itself it's all vegan so basically that's like we are all vegan except for uh an indulgence once in a while when we go out the kids indulge in non vegan food yeah but primarily at home it's vegan so i don't stop them when they go out or when they go out partying with friends and they're grown up now so i don't see any um a purpose or sense or sustainability in forcing them to go a certain way because this is my philosophy this is my way of life this is the path i have chosen so as a homemaker it gives me liberty to buy the kind of products that i feel i should buy but other than that it's their life too so <laughs> i love that you know you're so open minded and free about um giving you know your kids or anyone around you the choice to be who they want to be correct so one day when they wake up and they decide that they want to go vegan they know where to get their stuff and they know what to do so so you made all that information accessible and uh, yeah that's that's really that's amazing it's a good way to go so you've had so many years of experience in whether the word sustainability was used or not i feel like you've been consciously subconsciously living that 
So if you had to give, you know, a couple of simple tips to everyone out there, what would your simple steps to living more sustainably be? Oh my God, there's so much. <laughs> if you can give your top three, let's, let's say top three. Okay, top three for me, I would say, especially uh, in menstruation. I moved first from a regular whisper to a bamboo pad. So that's huge because we are contributing so much to environmental pollution through these uh, gel and, you know, all that plastic and all that. Yeah. So that is one. And somehow uh, it takes a lot of courage, I know. But I also successfully used uh, menstrual cups. So I think it takes a few months to overcome that initial. Yeah, it does. It it's it's a learning. It's a learning. I it, it is a struggle, but I think if we are convinced, then we find a way. Yeah. Have you also heard of uh, period underwear, period panties? Now I've menopause, so I may have to explore it for my daughter. The one that works best for me is a uh, uh, like a period underwear. So we do have a couple of Indian brands also, along with uh, foreign brands who are really in it, in that same space. And it has been a game changer for me. So it's this very similar, you use, wash, repeat. So it's like, and it can go up to like five years. It's something we can explore. Yeah, second was refillable. Uh, we can, you know, uh, buy products from them in certain uh, reusable containers, finish it and give the containers back to them and then you know, get a re refill. So that's something amazing. I really love that concept. And the third is the zero waste store, Adrish. Yeah, so of course my organic veggie supplier also gives the vegetables in brown paper bags, which he will also take back if it's in a good condition. So something like that, I think these are very, very good options. So even uh, like oil and things like that, um, Adrish gives it in uh, glass jars, which you can return or which you can reuse, you know. But that does that then increase the cost of the product in? No, it doesn't. No, they maintain the same. Yeah, the cost because they have the reusability factor. Yes, correct, correct. That that's a good thing because I think one of the biggest complaints I would say. Whether it is veganism, whether it is zero waste, whether it's sustainability is the cost. And I have to agree, like, you know, we, I mean, it, it is much easier when you have the access to disposable income to be able to invest in those things. But if you don't, and a majority, a lot of people don't. And I feel like a lot of companies fail to maybe address that, you know, or they price their products higher thinking, oh, wow, you know, this, this way of life is a fad, you know, so people will spend and then that just snowballs into something totally different but again i feel there is a certain myth to that as well yeah because when you say vegan lifestyle yeah it's uh i mean if you're willing to give up uh or make your own so you don't have to consume dahi you don't have to consume milk anyway we know that milk and dahi are not required isn't it so it's just that your palate keeps seeking these things so you can make it yourself there are a whole lot of recipes available and so the rest is what we eat every day at home normally so i don't think that's more expensive in fact you save money <laughs> you don't buy pizzas anymore you don't buy pasta anymore you don't buy cakes 
pastries anymore. I mean, like you are saving a whole lot of money. The, the expensive part comes in with more processed stuff. Like if you're if you're getting a vegan cheese, if you're getting mock meat, those things. Then yeah, you know, it's still processed. Exactly, it's processed plus. It's a whole new category of things. So the supply demand hasn't fixed itself. So it is bound to be more expensive, more expensive ingredients. So it, I think that is where it also stems from, right? So a lot of people used to think, like even my own friend used to think, oh my god, vegan is something exotic. You only get it in expensive restaurants. It's still the same. Then when I told her, Arey, it's dal chawal roti sabzi. Arey, it's just dal chawal. We eat vegan food every day in our houses. You don't have to go to an expensive restaurant to have vegan food. <laughs> we are all here to change it, and uh, you know, hopefully, get more people to at least think in a different way. So that's that's pretty cool. Again, sustainability also. Like we used to live in Surat back in uh, you know in the nineties. Even in Chennai, our elders never used to step out of the house without a cloth bag. So that. Because the plastic has come in, and because it has become so ubiquitous, because it became, uh, you know, you don't have to carry. The shopkeeper puts everything in a plastic bag. We lost that habit, but it's just that we have to go back to that now. So I keep asking my mom, what were the other things that you know you were doing which were sustainable, but which we lost the habit of, which we need to bring back. So if you go back, it's actually about simplifying life. It's not about complicating it. I mean, even simple things like my grandmom till date, you know, refuses to have a shower. They have to like you know have a bucket bucket bath, and which is if you think about it, the most like sustainable in terms of water resources way of bathing. So we have a lot. I mean, lot to learn from our ancestors. We have to become conservative in the sense in that conserve. <laughs> By going back <laughs> into how things were done and the yeah, not everything that our ancestors did, but a few things in the sustainable living part of it. Yes. So okay, going uh, you know into your I would say professional part of your life about parenting consulting. So this is an interesting uh, you know choice of profession which I have personally not come across to many people. So how did you get into this and? You know what are your main learnings? I would say if you had to explain it. So this journey started way back when I was in college. Okay. My my master's thesis was on parenting. Okay, and then uh, even before I met Waldorf, uh, I got an opportunity to do a parenting show on World Space Satellite Radio. We had all these scripts on different different episodes on different different topics on sibling rivalry, adoption. Uh, parent-child relationship, early detection of issues like that. We have so many sixteen episodes or whatever. So, uh, sir wanted to really bring it out as a book so that it's all the time available, you know, for people to use and to use as a ready reckoner and to have use as a reference book for parents, almost like a manual, like a parenting manual on different different topics. So uh, that was my second, uh, you know, uh, big step into into this direction. Although I was doing more of special education then, but you can't work with a child without working with parents, isn't it? So uh, 
in uh, 2010 when i started my own world of kindergarten for children with special needs i found it so hard to you know take out time to spend with parents you know because uh, the child would be with us say for 4 5 hours but the child goes back home and then whatever is happening at home is also influencing the child right so then i wanted to start working more and more with parents on how they can work with the children at home not like homework homework but how do they live their life in such a way that it helps the children you know so that's how it started and then uh, i could not sustain my school <laughs> because i was not great with finances and administration i made a lot of mistakes but then uh, i think it led me to where i really really wanted to be in the space of parenting so like now a lot of parents reach out to me from various schools you know children who need help day to in their day to day life through their behavioral issues and it's actually parents who need more help than the children they come to me through their children so parents need a lot of hand holding lot of support a lot of uh, you know help with their own anxieties and stuff that they are also going through so it's very very rewarding very very fulfilling you know to be able to help parents because that way you're able to help the children for a longer time like it's you know it sustained help for children so i've done my uh, certification in anthroposophic psychotherapy also now so because of which i'm able to take on you know different different cases which parents themselves bring so yeah an interesting journey so this might be a shot in the dark but you know as you were speaking it just my brain was thinking in this way but do you also recommend uh, different diets for you know for children with behavioral issues and the parents as well see we are what we eat your food is your medicine so any time you have an illness in the body we need to look at what we are eating so food is makes us who we are for any illness like even for mental health or whether it is you know child health if it's a child who is not able to focus not able to sit still not able to pay attention which is happening a lot more these days than it ever did because of our lifestyles because of the time that they're spending on gadgets they are not able to move a lot they are not able to expend their energy so the lot of hyperactivity has started and again Uh, uh something that really helps with hyperactivity is cutting down on food with lot of processing with sugary foods with foods with a lot of added flavors and you know things like that and uh so we need to be able to tune into our own bodies you know to see what is suiting us what is not suiting us yeah. one man's uh, food is another man's poison right so one person can absolutely digest uh, wheat without any issue but another person may have uh, allergic reactions or intolerance to wheat so when i went vegan it was more for ahimsa reasons because i told you 
I stumbled upon Sharon and I saw this video on how the cattle is handled and it was too painful for me. I was very happy as a vegetarian thinking I'm living a ahimsa life until I found out how full of himsa the dairy industry is. So I could never go back to that. So when I started my vegan journey, it was for ahimsa reason. But a year down the line, I realized that I was not getting migraine headaches anymore. I used to get severe, severe, severe migraines since the age of 17. And that trigger, there was a trigger, but then I used to be triggered by everything like sunlight, missing a meal, sitting in an AC, being anxious about something. Every other thing would trigger my headaches and also during menstruation. So for three days, I would be in bed with my shades closed, with my head tied up in a cloth and I would be unavailable. It used to be that bad. But a year down the line, I suddenly told my husband, Hey, look, I'm not getting headaches anymore. Then, you know, I connected the two things. That I was lactose intolerant and I did not know it. There must be so many of us who are, because we are not supposed to drink the milk of another animal. It's as simple as that. I mean, after you finish breastfeeding, we don't need milk anymore. I mean, that's how we've all been designed. All animals have been designed that way. And in that aspect, in our physicality, we share that with the animals. But what we have that animals don't have is this ability to make a conscious choice. You know, we are not doomed to a life of uh, following our impulses and instincts, you know. We we also have something called intuition. So we need to start becoming aware of our conscious choices. Choices that we can make consciously and see what helps our bodies, see what suits us, see what is not suiting us. Explore more of natural ways of healing, which is through food. So that's really awesome. So coming back to one of the points that I was uh, that I that I had asked you. So when you even recommended these diets to parents and kids, so over a few course of a few months, six months, one year, did you see that change in parents and yes, definitely, definitely, uh, it kept getting strengthened year after year because the parents would come and tell me what difference that they are seeing they would come and tell me how it is helping the child you know the the first indication is the motion the stools of the child how it started becoming regular how it started becoming smooth and easy you know so that is a very big indicator of the child's bowel health it has to be regular it has to be soft and easy and not smelly so this started happening and we could actually see the difference in the child's behavior so if you have a tummy ache or a headache or a boil somewhere in your body, you're not able to pay attention to anything except that pain, right? And especially a child, like, yeah. So a child who, um, say, has these sensitivities, they could have sensory issues, they could have hyperactivity, they could have attention issues, they could have autism-like uh, symptoms. But the problem is all in the gut. So all these issues are gut related, not brain related. 
So when there is a problem in the gut, then it affects the brain. Then it affects the sensory processing. Then it affects the thinking, brain fog, lack of clarity in thinking. It's all coming from the gut to the brain. So once the gut is cleared out and the gut is cleaned out, then the child is able to access their own intelligence. The child is able to access their own potential. So now that I don't have my tummy ache, I can do what I want to do. Just to be clear, this is mainly for children uh, with behavioral uh, issues or ideally for everyone. Ideally for everyone. But if if there are no issues, then I don't think anybody would want to go that extra mile. And unless there has been an epiphany, unless they find out that, okay, this is the way to live and this is the way to go into the future and this is the way to stay healthy, not uh, salvage a problem after a problem has been caused, but how to live a life so that Problems are not, I mean, we can avoid having problems in the future. So it's called the salutogenic approach. So how to maintain good health. It's not just about curing something when it has already happened or treating something. It's about how do I maintain a healthy life even before a problem starts. As a psychologist who's worked mainly with children, how would you talk to children to adopt a more plant-based diet? So the thing is that we should not talk to them about it. The thing is that we should live that life. And so if you do it from a very early age, this is their only reality. So if it comes a little later also, if we have the disposal with, in our hands, what we are cooking and how we are cooking and how we are presenting it to the children and what are the ingredients that we are using. It's in our hands, right? So we don't have to become preachy and tell them why it is good, why it is not good. You know, you... Start introducing these things to them. They'll, as they grow, they don't. They'll notice that we don't get the milk packet that somebody else is getting, or they don't. We don't buy certain products that other people are buying. So, but they're not going to miss anything because they are getting all the yummy food at home. So, <laughs> I think it's more about teaching by example than you know talking about it. We don't have to talk about anything to children because. It's anyway their their logic. It, they're too young for logic. So, what is a good age to then begin the reasoning? Like you know, of course, questions are always there, but it's when they start going to birthday parties and you know they started they start you know being served different kinds of food. I would say don't force them if they want to try something. Let them try, but you know, try to tell them, you can also eat this, you can also eat that, but if they want to try something, and don't think we should stop it, we don't want to eat them eating something on the stealth, we don't want them to do it in hiding, you know, we want to sustain this veganism later also, when they want to grow up, so once they grow up, they want to do it, they know where to go, what to get, how to go about it, and I think they learn from us, our attitudes, everything, not just imitating our outer behavior. Our children get everything from us, like our beliefs, our how we respect other animals. Everything comes through example. So I think that's what is more important. That's pretty awesome. Makes sense. So, okay, I have a slightly, maybe quite a controversial topic to broach now since you've worked so closely with 
parenting and children what is your thought on antinatalism uh, okay <laughs> it's a heavy one i know but uh, wanted to know your so can you explain that so antinatalism is is anyone who is against the birth of children like they don't want any more children to be produced on this planet i really liked uh, what my yoga teacher had to say on this topic uh, see with whereas my children are concerned i feel it's their choice i'm not going to impose any of my ideas on them whether it's marriage or whether it's having children or whatever it is but what she had to say was very interesting in that uh depends you have to take a call depending on where you are from i mean that's what she had to say so if you are from a country maybe which has very less population then having a child may not make a dent you know on the environment it may not have a huge impact on the environment but if you're born in a country like india or china or any other densely populated country then it probably makes more sense to not have children but ultimately because our children are global citizens now they're not like just indians or just chinese or just you know finnish our children youngsters today belong to the entire world and there's a lot more oneness the feeling of oneness in the younger generation today than there ever was before so earlier we were like oh that's not my problem that's their problem but whatever happens anywhere in the world today it's everyone's problem yes. it is going to affect everyone at the end of the day no one is safe from climate change exactly so because they are seeing so much of information on climate change on sustainability and you know uh, all this kind of talk there is a lot of um, a skepticism that is caused in our younger like i can see it in my own daughters so there is a sense of doom i would say that is prevailing uh but i think it's something that they're just going through as youngsters but maybe once they grow up they will realize that uh okay this is what has happening in the world but what is it that i can do yeah. you know uh, maybe i can try to if i want to have a child maybe i'll try to be a conscious parent right from the start you know start teaching my child you know good habits good food habits good sustainable habits you know something that will help the world rather than you know just consume more resources how can i how can we as a family probably plant more trees or you know spread the message farther wider in every way that we can because people are doing it so if uh, i went back and told my daughter that it's not just about do and it's not just about the world coming to an end i think it's each of each one of our responsibility to do what we can in the smallest possible way to uh, you know make this world a better place like you know leave it a little better than we found it so i think once we start you know taking it into action and not just stay with it stay with it at a thinking level then it is not that bad 
because then there's lot more we can do right than you know just sit there and consume i think that was a quite a nice i mean, i think way to put it and i think my opinion a little bit similar in the sense that uh, to each their own sort of but at the same time yes we really have to be mindful about uh, you know resource consumption and climate change i mean in fact going by the current numbers we don't even know if we we have that much time on this planet so let's let's see about that uh, but uh, on one hand i do sort of i do get why people feel what they feel as you rightly said you know the younger generations are really putting a lot of thought into this and i think the first step is already like oh my god we are definitely not going to have as many kids as either our grandparents nor as our parents so i think that itself is a big revelation and i think that is step 1 but uh, how we go ahead now and then there's always adoption definitely i think that's the beautiful uh, you know option right there there are so many children that that are already here and you know are waiting and craving to be loved so i totally completely agree with that so i think this brings us to the last segment where we want to hear a little bit about uh, one of the amazing ventures you do which is yarning for love so if you can just tell us a little bit about that <laughs> that is again uh, a gift from world of education where a lot of emphasis is placed on uh, placed on making things with your own hand and you know when children are playing the teachers are you know busy crocheting toys for them to play with while they have a you know an eye on the children when they are playing the idea is that they should be left free right so we are busy with our hands when they are playing so uh, at the same time crochet is also taught to the children they are taught from nursery how to crochet with fingers it's called finger knitting so they're told stories and they're taught to knit and they you know start knitting with two needles when they go to grade classes and it's part of the steiner curriculum but even before this i had the good fortune of spending hours with my grandmother watching her crochet learning beadwork from her learning embroidery from her and like our our uh, older generations were all gifted with you know working with their hands using their hands to make their own things you know, to repair and use so uh, thanks to that i had spent hours you know learning from my grandma and then when it came back to me through world of education i grabbed it with both hands and it became a very strong hobby I always used to love art and making things with my hand and crafting. In fact, I wanted to go to NID but uh, that was too far for us Chennai people so it was not encouraged but hey there's you you can always do it now okay there's no stopping you Nirupama come on. Absolutely absolutely so that's what it's such a blessing that it came back into my life that I could start crafting and start creating things you know. so uh, luckily both my daughters are in the art and design space so uh, we 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 keep giving each other ideas and we keep encouraging each other to make things so this yarning for love uh, came again like you know many things in the covid 
so during covid the like schools were closed so a lot of my work involved going to schools and spending time observing children and things like that i started doing a lot more handwork uh, and uh, i started working with an ngo started teaching them macrame and uh, this was before covid this was before covid i started teaching macrame and they sold the products and they all made some money and it was very satisfying experience so again during covid i went to another ngo and uh, started tea, you know working with them and taught them macrame and made a lot of products and then i thought maybe i should make it a little more formal and you know gave it a name called yarning for love i want to teach them crochet as well maybe i'll go back to the first ngo also work with them as well and uh, let's see where it goes so you basically tie up with the ngo too so they are also crocheting you've taught them right so now they are also making the products and you are finding different ways to sort of sell those products and then you give the profits back to them yes yes a part of the profit the rest of it goes in buying more material would be so back into the business got it that's so i give them a big percentage so that is my main goal it's not to make profit i am not going to make any much profit from this great thank you so much nirupama for coming here and spending uh, your afternoon with us it was a pleasure and honor to have you here it was super fun thank you for having me here